piano players. Oh, yeah. And you did good, too. Two years in that position. No, 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 please don't. Let us pray. Lord, it's a strengthening joy to come back together, to see one another, to hear the voices, to see the faces, even if we don't know the names. We're strengthened by knowing that we have come together, called in your spirit, called to listen, called to learn, called to grow. And Lord, we're hearing through the ears and the eyes and the mind and the heart of the, the writer of Luke. And we love those stories. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> the visitation to Mary and the Annunciation and the beautiful songs that they sang and the baby that only had a manger for a cradle and the earthy, earthy shepherds who heard the heavenly voices. And then, Lord, we find you, you call us to go deeper than the beautiful Christmas cards. You call us to think about who you came to and, and Mary's song that challenges us to think about who's poor and who's rich and, and what are we rich in and are we poor in spirit. So, Lord, open us to all that you would say to us today through our teacher, through the writers, through our hearts. Be with each one. We pray for those, those that we love that are ill and struggling with, with hard decisions, that there may be peace and wholeness in each life and indeed, Lord, in our world. For it is in the name of Jesus, whose announcement brought peace to the earth, we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So you're all venturing out into the, the warmth today after sheltering in place uh, for a good part of the week, I bet. Um, you know, I don't know what quite to think about the world these days where um, back in the day, I feel like an old person, right? We actually went to school. <laughs> um, even my college closed on the threat of snow this week. So, uh, I guess an abundance of caution is called for. So we're, we're, we're going to be making some uh, transitions today. Um, Kathy, thank you for that prayer, and we're talking about us being in Luke. Um, we're going to spend a little time in the book of Acts today, which was also written by Luke. Um, but we're going to—I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief introduction today uh, to a series that I want to do on the book of Ephesians uh, for the next couple months. Um, it's always dangerous to tell you what I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish by the end of March. Okay? 
I've never done that before. Um, this year. This year. <laughs> That's a fair question. Very fair question. Born of experience. That's right. It's like, we should get that clarified here. It's got the loophole. 2019. Uh, the book of Ephesians. And I want to... Those of you who know me, um, which is a lot of you, um, know that um, I kid the, st I kid the stu students at Milligan that I only really t teach one course. I just call it different things. Because um, I really only have one thing um, that I really, really am passionate about. It's not exactly true, but... Um, and I, most of my life, I've had a deep, deep passion for the church. Um, in fact, I'm going to, this another thing I don't do, um, I don't tell you when I'm going to be gone. Um, but I'm going to tell you. Like, I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays. So I'm giving you just a little teaser today to kind of, maybe you'll come back. I don't know, maybe you won't. Um, but most of you know, if, if you've been paying attention, and most of you are pretty attentive, I'm usually gone two Sundays in February. It's February. Uh, next Sunday I'm going to Eugene, Oregon um, for the annual winter board meeting of a group that I'm a part of called the Ecclesia Project. And Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. And it's, uh, it's largely, I mean it is an international group, but it's largely uh, rooted in this country. Um, and it's a group of people across the entire denominational spectrum um, who are working for church renewal in their places, wherever they are. Um, we aren't in competition with the church. We're there to kind of encourage people to be uh, salt and light and to, and to go deep into what it means to be the church. And so I've, I've written curriculum for this group. I've done all kinds of things for this group. And I've served on the board um, since the beginning. And um, so I'll be out there in Eugene, and best I can tell from the weather, uh, it's going to be nicer here than there. So don't think I'm just going somewhere where the weather's going to be nice. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, at least you'll come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll come back. And then the following week, um, most of you know that also every February, I take a group of my students from my spirituality and everyday life class to a monastery up in southern Indiana for a long weekend, a three-day weekend where we uh, pray with the monks um, starting early in the morning, uh, five times a day, eat with the monks, talk with the monks, and uh, have our uh, life uh, and discipleship with Jesus deepened by being in conversation with them. It's always a powerful uh, weekend. But I'll be back after that and we'll pick up on Ephesians. Okay. Um, Dave has agreed to, to cover for us for the next two weeks, so you will be in able hands. Um, so Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is without a doubt in the New Testament uh, the book that has the most glorious vision of the church. Um, and that's why, I, that's why I want to focus on it because it's been my passion. Um, more and more people in our uh, in our land and really around the world, um, if you ask the average person, uh, I, I, I looked at the statistics, but I forget them now. 
um, who is a Christian in the United States. I mean, any, a uh, painfully high number of them think that they can be a perfectly good Christian apart from any connection to any church. Um, which is an idea that's completely foreign to the entire New Testament. Um, to, to be part of Jesus is to be part of the body of Christ. Right? This, this is not, uh, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. Right? I can say that to you because you know who the Lone Ranger is. I can't say that too much. My kids, I teach. Uh, I love to teach you. Like, I have analogies I can use with you. Uh, I have to kind of reinvent myself every five years when I teach at Milligan. It's like, when you start getting blank stares, okay, okay, that doesn't work anymore. So try something else. But Sunday morning, I can talk to you. It's like, these are my people. <laughs> Yeah, so the idea of Lone Ranger, yes, there are no Lone Ranger Christians uh, in the New Testament. I mean, this is, this is a life that's been called to give together. And Paul, Paul and we're going to assume that Paul's the writer to Ephesians. We're not going to get into all of that. But it's, it's an interesting question if you're a scholar of the New Testament, uh, whether Paul wrote Ephesians. I think there are very good reasons to think that he did. Um, and there are some good questions for why he didn't. It's not like people are just being... You know, contrary, it's exactly right. Um, but we're going to assume that Paul wrote it. Um, and we think he, he wrote it probably towards the end of his life. It's one of what's often called the prison epistles. He wrote it from prison. Um, Paul spent a good bit of time in prison, but he was in house arrest toward the end of his life in Rome, probably in the early 60s A.D. Okay. Um, he's eventually uh, going to die there. Um, but we believe he wrote this book. Um, and it was probably a, a, a book that circulated among a number of churches. Um, because it doesn't have a lot of the hallmarks of a book that Jesus, that Jesus, that Paul writes just to one church in one place, in one city. It's a lot more general than that. And he doesn't, doesn't have the greetings to individual people that often happens in a lot of his books. So we think it's a book that was intended to be circulated, and one of the places it clearly went uh, was Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, a little geography lesson, uh, is what's in current-day Turkey. Um, it's on the, the far western coast. Ephesus is the far western coast of Turkey on the, the Aegean Sea. It's sort of directly east you draw a line from Athens, Greece, east, you sort of run into Ephesus when you cross the Aegean. Because this group is a traveling group, do we have anybody in here who's been to Ephesus? One, two, three, four, yes, we've got, yeah, a bunch of people. Um, you don't hear a lot about Ephesus. Um, just for most of us, the only thing we know about Ephesus is Paul wrote a letter that went there. That's about the only thing I ever knew about it. Um, but it was an incredibly important city in Paul's day. Um, and one of the things that it was most important for, I mean, it was, a, it was an honest trade route. If you, if you look and see where it is, it's an important trade city. And so it was one of those cosmopolitan cities. But it was known around the world 
for having the temple of Artemis or Diana, depending on which you're talking about the, the Greek or the Roman god, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Right? So you can imagine if you had one of the ancient wonders, seven ancient wonders um, in your town, you're a little proud of it. Right? Because people came from all over the world, literally, to that part of Asia to see the temple of Artemis. And Paul, you know, sometimes Paul writes the letters to places that he hasn't been, has heard about, but Paul spent a lot of time in, in, Ephesians, in Ephesus, somewhere between two and three years, we think. And what I want just to allude to briefly, um, just to kind of give you a flavor of what kind of place it was, um, the book of Acts in chapter 19 uh, records an event that happens. And again, we don't I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on this. Um, probably have, but I don't remember it. Uh, like a lot of things, right? Um, but there's a, there's a pretty tense day in the life of Paul that happened. Um, some of you may remember uh, back in 1972. Um, you probably don't remember this in 1972, but there's a book written in 1972 that a lot of you probably read to your children or your grandchildren. That was called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, very bad day. Right? You heard that? Yeah. Well, this, this was arguably one of Paul's potentially terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. He had a lot of them, if you recall. You know, you might remember in 2 Corinthians, uh, he, he's getting a little irritated with people who are talking about these other super apostles and that Paul's not hardly anything. And he starts saying, look, it's really dangerous to kind of go bragging about this because I really want to brag in Jesus. But, you know, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was stoned. Um, I had, and he says, you know, uh, I had trouble in the cities. Uh, uh, I had uh, trouble from Greeks. I had trouble from Jews. And um, he, he had a lot of troubles and a lot of arguably what we would think if we just had one of those days, a really terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> um, this is one that didn't turn out as bad as it could have. Um, but Paul's been teaching there for a while in Ephesus. And so, and it turns out that one of the things that's happening is people are actually listening to him and they're raising questions. And so at one point, um, one of the things that Ephesus is also known for back in the day was, was magic. And so, after a while, Paul's been preaching there, and one day, a lot of the, the citizens of Ephesus decide that they're going to get rid of their magic books, which were, remember, books back then were rare and very valuable, and they have a huge bonfire and burn all of the, you know, one of the original book burnings. Okay? And uh, that, as you can imagine, kind of upset people, let them know something was going on. And then we pick up the story um, down around verse 23 in chapter 19, if you're following along. I just want to read a little bit, just because this is a dramatic scene, and I can't say it any better than what Luke did. 
He says, about that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. And you recall that the early Christians weren't called Christians right off. They were called followers of the way. Wish we were still called that, honestly. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Okay. Silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. The nerve. <laughs> and there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned, and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. And when they heard us, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a messenger urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they hadn't actually had come together. Some of the crowd gave instructions to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed forward. And Alexander motioned for silence and tried to make a defense for the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, all of them shouted in unison, Great is Artemis! of Ephesus. You've seen some of those uh, clips from Nazi Germany where you have these huge crowds of people. They're just yelling and shouting in unison. It's kind of a scary thing. You get close to understanding what Paul and his friends are experiencing there for two hours. That's what they're shouting. And you get, just try to get, enough, get your head around that. How intimidating that must have been. And this is where Paul has been teaching for a couple. And it turns out that a clerk stands up and says, you know, tries to let cooler heads prevail, and says, you know what? It's, best I can tell, these folks aren't trying to... Um, what does he say? He says, they're neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. He says, if Demetrius and the silversmiths, you know, have a problem, there are proper channels to go through that. So how about we just calm down? And, and apparently it did not turn into the riot that it looked like it was destined to turn into. And that Paul and his friends might have thought that like they were going to lose their lives today, like there was going to be a lynching very well could have turned into that with thousands of people. And then as the story ends and it calms down, it's with somewhat understatement, 
Luke says in the first verse of chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent to the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left for Macedonia. <laughs> so, uh, for, for three years he'd been there, and uh, doesn't say that the Holy Spirit, you know, often Luke will say the Holy Spirit sent Paul, but I think maybe Paul sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying, it's time to go. Uh, it's time to go. And so that's, um, so he, he's writing this book, Ephesians, to people, to a place where he had maybe 10 years before, probably in the early 50s, he was in Ephesus for two to three years, which was a long time for Paul. Um, so he knows the Ephesians, uh, he knows there, and yet what he offers in this sort of circular letter um, is this astonishing vision of what God is trying to do through the church. And I think that's an important reason I want to focus on that. Once my passion, but I think in any time and place, but maybe in ours too, uh, when it's easy to be discouraged by the church, no matter what church you're in, whatever congregation you're in, it's easy to be discouraged um, and forget the sort of big picture. Like, what is God doing in the church? Um, what is God doing through the church? Why did God bring this thing called the church into being to begin? What's the point of it? And Paul offers this, again, astonishing vision of the church uh, that really sort of pulls back and gives you a view that's awfully hard to get when you're in the middle of it. Now again, I have travelers here. I think I'm going to have even more on this question. How many of you have been to London and ridden on the eye? Anybody? About the same number. Okay. Actually, I have even done that. Right? So you got to catch up with me. I'm a pitiful traveler. Um, but it looks like a giant Ferris wheel. But it's bigger than any Ferris wheel you've ever been on. Um, it's roughly 45 stories high. Okay. Um, and it takes about a half an hour to make one rotation. So you just get on, and you get, it's hard, and it just goes up. And, and it goes so slow, it goes less than a half mile an hour, that you hardly feel it. But you, get, you have an astonishing view of London. There are not restrooms. Um, but it's only half an hour. But it doesn't stop because it goes so slow, you can both board and get on and get off when it, when it comes, when, when your car, which seats 20 people, you've got an enclosed car, seats about 20 people, or stand, you can stand up, because it's enclosed. And it just, very slowly, for a half an hour, gives you this stunning view of London. And it's really fun to either at the beginning of your time at London or at the end of your time at London, sort of get the lay of the land, things that you've been to see. You can see the Parliament and Big Ben and all the things that you want to see. Um, you can see four miles from up there. I mean, you're 45. It's not the tallest structure, but 45 stories is, you know, if you live in Johnson City, that's pretty tall. <laughs> right? We don't have anything that's 45 stories high. Um, and so Ephesians is sort of that kind of view 
of the church. Right? Someone says that Ephesians is sort of like riding the London eye. Right? Because it gives you a perspective of the church that's really, really hard to get when you're just in the middle of it. And I think we need that. I need that. Maybe we all need that to be reminded what's God doing through the church? So that's where we're going to be heading uh, when I get back. So I want to tell another story about a potentially terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, and that's today, um, potentially. Um, because I want to let you know that at the end of March, I'm going to be stepping away from teaching this class. And I want to tell you a story of why, because I feel like I owe you that, of course. And in the perfect world, I would have met each of you individually and tried to explain this to you face to face. Um, but the problem is you all talk. And <laughs> so I don't know how to I don't know how to tell you that. And so um, so please, there's many of you in this room that have probably wished you would have heard this from me individually, and I apologize for that because I hadn't been able to figure out how to do this. Um, I've been thinking about it for a while. But the, the one thing that's made it the hardest is lots of things that's made it the hardest. This is yeah, I've been dreading this day more than I can say. Um, is I pretty much decided this last fall, late last fall, and talked to a person or two in the class about it, try to help me discern how to do it, when to do it. Um, and then you all went and put my picture up on the wall <laughs> at Christmas. And I'm sitting there going, God, could they have made it any harder? <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can take it down, come, come April 1st, and just say, yeah, April Fools, we were just kidding. So let me tell you, since I do care deeply about the church, let me just, some of you know the story, but most of you don't, and uh, I just want you to know a little bit of my own sojourn in the church. Most of you know I grew up in Indiana. Um, Christian Church, Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, that, that branch of Christianity, of which Milligan actually tends to be, uh, gets a lot of its students and its, and its, back, and its uh, donor base and support. And then uh, when I went away, so I spent a lot of time uh, in, that, in one church in Indianapolis. And then when I came down here um, to go to seminary, uh, in the uh, early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um, I was youth and associate minister out at First Christian Church in Irwin uh, for, five, for five years. Uh, I worked on my Master of Divinity degree. And then when I went, went to Duke for four years to work on my, my PhD in theology and ethics, um, I attended a Presbyterian church um, actually was ordained as an elder in the Presbyterian Church uh, and was there for six years. 
Um, then, when we moved here, uh, most of you know we have five children. We have an older adopted daughter, and we have four biological children. And Peter, our oldest son, our first biological child, was born two days before we moved to Johnson City. Um, yeah, it was good planning. Um, and for the first seven years here, um, we attended Thankful Baptist Church, um, which is one of the two predominantly African-American churches in Johnson City. Um, and one of the reasons we were there is it had, again, to do with my um, passion for the church. Uh, and what is the church's witness? What does the church say to the world just by being what it is? And I was deeply grieved and remain deeply grieved at how uh, racially segregated the American church is. Um, as you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, but I don't think he was the first one to say it, that 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in American culture. And it still is. Uh, and it's actually worse now than it was 15 years ago. Um, and so we, um, I didn't teach there, I didn't preach there, I just was there uh, for seven years. Um, and we left there, it was not, um, we did left there under good, uh, for good reasons, we still have dear friends at Thankful, and we've made lots of dear friends in the African American community that we would not have had we not had seven beautiful years there. Uh, but then we came to Muncie about 20 years ago. I'm an old guy. Um, and so, first thing we did when we got here 20 years ago, we had some young children, so for several years, uh, Kim and I taught the second grade Sunday school class. That's where I cut my teeth, you know, teaching Sunday school at Muncie. I started with the really, really hard class. And then, you know, to reward me for all those years of doing the hard stuff, uh, they invited me to teach this class, but not for a while, right? For some of the first uh, several years I taught second grade, then we were members of, for, of the lectionary class for years and years until a little over seven years ago, um, I was invited to teach this class. But what happened in the intervening era is, is the part that I have to tell you about. Because uh, about 10 years ago, not quite 10 years ago, um, our boys were uh, entering high school, our, our girls were um, a little younger than that. And as a family, uh, we made the hard decision. The girls, for lots of complicated reasons, most of which don't have to do with Muncie, uh, our girls were having a hard time connecting here, and they were connecting at another church in Johnson City. Um, some of you know Grandview Christian Church over on University Parkway across from the golf course. And so we as a family made the difficult decision that Kim would take our girls over there uh, where they were involved, and I would stay here with the boys. And so that was what we've done for the last 10 years, almost 10 years. Um, now our boys haven't been here at Muncie for five or six years, but I stayed here because this all happened like a year after I started teaching this class. And I was just becoming part of your family, and I felt like God had good work for me to do here, and so I've stayed here. Um, but our youngest daughter is two years into college now, and so 
our daughters aren't at Grandview anymore. And so it's become difficult um, for us to continue to worship in different places each Sunday morning. Um, we haven't worshiped together for about a decade. And, um, and so Kim is connected there and I'm connected here. Um, but over the course of our marriage, Kim has sacrificed a lot for the family and a lot for me vocationally, uh, family-wise, and it just seems like the right thing to do that I would go to Grandview and be there with her and support her and her friendships and, and connect there. Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing beginning in April. Um, it's going to be really hard for me. I just have to admit, um, I love you all so much, and you have been so good to me for these seven years um, that, yeah, I just, it's been, when I've been, it's been so hard the last few months knowing this day was coming, um, but just really finding it hard. And I want to be really clear, um, one of the reasons when I was talking about the timing with a couple people. Um, I want everybody to be absolutely clear of a couple things. One, this has nothing to do with the unrest United Methodist Church. Okay, I, I've had the last 20 years of my life in the United Methodist Church, and I, as you can tell from my story, I'm a kind of church mongrel, <laughs> right? Um, I'm not purebred anything, right? Got a little Christian church in me, a little African-American Baptist, a little Methodist, a little Presbyterian, you know. I go hang out with the Catholics with my, my students. Um, and so I like to think that God is at work where people who are trying to follow the way of Jesus gather. And so I have been in prayer. I will continue to be in prayer for the United Methodist Church, whatever happens the end of February. Um, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't. Um, and I also want you to know that I'm hoping that I'll uh, slip over and worship with you all from time to time and maybe even slip in the back row if there's any extra seats. <laughs> I gotta get here early and hear a lesson from somebody else. I never get to do that. You know, the time people otherwise get to teach is when I'm gone. Um, I'm still going to get the, the newsletter every week from the class. I'm still going to keep up with you all. We live in Johnson City. It's not a big place. We're still going to see each other. Um, but I know it's going to be different. I do. I don't want to deny that. I'm going to feel the difference. You're going to feel the difference. But I, I do want you to know that it has nothing to do with you. I'm not leaving you because of you. I'm leaving because I'm just torn and have been torn for a while. Mm -hmm. And I just think for the next season of my life, uh, I need to be there. And I know you understand that, but that doesn't make it any less hard for all of us. So um, there'll be more to say between now and uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to share this just to give you some, give you my uh, two months notice, and uh, give you give you time to transition, give my my heart time to transition. Um, 
it, it's going to be hard for me. But here, here's what I know. Um, I love what Tom Terry's doing with the history of this class. This, this class has been a beautiful, beautiful uh, part of Muncie Church and uh, a rock within Muncie Church long, 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 long before I got here. And I have trust in God that it will be the same long, long, long after I'm gone. This class has never been about me. Um, it's been about who are the people who gather here who are clear about their devotion to God and living it out here in this place. And so uh, I'm confident about that, um, that you will be in good hands. Um, and I hope you'll continue to, to devote yourself. One of the things that's been so beautiful about being part of you is to weekly see the ways in which you are devoted to one another and live out your discipleship partly by offering such tender and specific care to each other, which is a beautiful witness to the love of God. And uh, that's one of the things I've learned from you and have seen lived out in ways that I won't forget. And a lot of that tender care has been directed to me, and I'm deeply moved by that. And so I want to thank you for that. I will be thanking you for that, and I'll be thanking God for that for a very, very, very long time for you. So. Um, I know you didn't plan to come today to hear this, um, and there's no good way to prepare for this. So thank you for letting me say all that, and let me pray. Gracious God, you are so astonishingly good to us. Uh, you surprise us in ways that we could never have imagined. And so on this day when we are mindful of your glorious purposes for your church, we give you thanks for the saints of God who gather in this place called Muncie. We give you thanks for all the ways that this church has been a witness to the living Jesus uh, for generations. Give you thanks for this Sunday school class and all that is meant to Muncie and the community and to each other, those who are members of this class. And I want to give you thanks for the privilege it's been to be part of this class. And as we make this difficult transition. We pray your blessing on this class, its leadership, its membership. Pray that you would remind us uh, why we are here. Uh, remind us of what you are doing in and through us. And pray your blessing uh, during these, these challenging times. Um, we have knit our lives together in ways that none of us imagined. And so, uh, as we anticipate uh, things being a little different in the days going forward, we will be relying heavily on the bond that we have in Christ um, that supersedes and stands above uh, everything else. And so we pray that you would um, be with us in our, in our sadness and uh, 
and, and just the the surprise and the just the not knowing until today that this is happening and so we we pray that you'd be at work uh, we pray that you would continue to do what you've always done which is bring uh, good teaching and encouragement to these dear people here who I consider my family and I know that you'll continue to do that uh, in the months and years ahead and so I pray your blessing on them uh, and on me as we uh, move into the next uh, few months. Uh, we pray this through the one who is the center of our lives, uh, to whom we have committed our lives, and through whom we offer our love to each other, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think everybody's in shock, but uh, we do understand, and we will be in our prayers during this transition. But, 